Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. We have um, been in this series called Encounter. And really, you know, it's all about how God encounters his people. The Bible is full of stories over and over about God encountering his people from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, because he's a relational God. He's living and active among us all the time. Um, he's always present and at work in the world and in our lives. Um, sometimes we're not aware of it, right? We have to tune our attention to his presence and his activity in our life, but he's always there. He's, he's not a distant God. He's not unavailable. He's not mad at you. He is present among us even right now in this place. Um, and when we turn our attention to that presence and to him, we hear truth, we worship, we receive healing, and lies get broken. All kinds of things happen when we encounter the living God. So <clears throat> specifically, we've been looking through uh, some of the gospel stories and how Jesus has encounters with people, from Pharisees to seekers to disciples to the crowds. And we're kind of looking at, like, what are these encounters like? And how does Jesus often show up in a surprising way where uh, he doesn't do what people expect him to do, right? And he throws curveballs. And um, there's, there's things to be gleaned when we look at how Jesus encounters people on earth. He shows us what the Father is really like. He's the flesh and blood of God living on earth, and he shows us what our Heavenly Father is like. So this morning, we're going to look at two stories of encounter with uh, individuals um, in a town called Jericho. And so Jesus kind of pit stops in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. He's kind of culminating uh, his life here in Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he is going to go to the cross um, and you know, complete his mission here on earth to die and be raised again. But on his way to Jerusalem, he has to travel this road and stop in this town called Jericho. And there's two individuals he meets um, in Luke that we're going to talk about. And both of these stories kind of highlight Jesus's mission. And <clears throat> we're going to be in the the end of 18, Luke 18, and the beginning of Luke 19. And the very last verse that we're going to read, I think, captures what uh, Jesus's mission is all about that we're going to see in these two stories. And it's verse 19:10, Luke 19:10. It says, "For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost." That's what you will see out of these two stories. These are his very own words that he says. This is what Jesus says of himself. And breaking it down just a little bit, when, we, when, when he says, for the Son of Man came to seek. Seek, what does that mean? That's like an active pursuit, right? That's an intentionality. When you're seeking after something, that is purposeful. So the Son of Man came to seek. He goes after 
these individuals that are not on anybody else's radar. He's purposely moving towards them. And it says that he came to seek and to save. Saving is about restoring what is broken, that which has been damaged. And everybody is in this category of those who are lost. He came to seek and save those who are lost. Because we will see from these individuals that Jesus comes to those who have little resources and those who have abundant resources. It doesn't matter what category you are in because we're all in the category of lost without Jesus. That's the equal playing field for us all. When we came into this world, we were born under the power of sin in this world. And that is a reality of the brokenness of this world and the brokenness in our own heart that we all experience. So we're all identified in this story of Jesus's mission to come seek and save those that are lost. Romans 3 shows us this very clearly. 3.10 through 12 says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And if you keep going in in chapter 3, you get to 23, and it says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So we're all lost before we turn to embrace Jesus and his new life. But the amazing thing is the next verse tells us, it says, yet God, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And you'll see that in these two encounters. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin, People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus, is, that Jesus sacrificed his life and shedding his blood. That is our new hope, and that's our new power, and that's our new life, and that's when we, we get to exchange our broken heart for the new whole heart that Jesus gives us. That's the great exchange. Now, before this theology was like neatly packed by Paul and given to us in Romans, and we all got to understand, okay, this is how the gospel works, Jesus was actually doing it in people's lives. So these encounters, is this theology being lived out like on the streets in real life? This is how they learned what the gospel was, that Jesus was actually demonstrating it for real people in their real circumstances, showing people what God was like, what the invitation was that he was offering, and the new life he was inviting them to walk into. That the grace of God was, is strong enough and is wide enough and deep enough and goes far enough to the deepest, darkest places of society to say, I'm going to change and rescue you. You belong with me. You are loved. You are saved. You are redeemed. Come on. Come with me. That's what Jesus' grace does. So our first encounter is with a blind beggar 
This is in Luke 18. We are going to be in verse 35. And so this is where Jesus is passing by in the city of Jericho. And uh, we're going to read this story. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of, of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped. And he ordered the man to be brought to him. And the man came near Jesus came near. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And then all who saw it praised God too. <clears throat> So Jesus, he's going through this city of Jericho, and it's a busy traveler's kind of road that he's on, right? And so this crowd starts to form, and on this road are people that normally sit and beg, that are lame, blind, have these uh, situations where they are outcast from society. They have no other way of making a living or surviving in society. And so they sit along this road as travelers pass by, and they call out and ask for money. That's how they supported themselves within this society, right? And this particular man from other um, gospel accounts is named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus, I imagine, starts hearing this commotion around him. And he starts catching wind of the fact that Jesus is going to be passing by. And he must have some kind of knowledge about who Jesus was that he's picked up on through hearing um, about this Savior that has come to the world. And so he has some kind of growing faith and anticipation, a little bit of urgency to, to, to be a part of this Jesus passing by moment. Um, and he calls him by a messianic title. When he says, Jesus, son of David, that's an Old Testament messianic title. So he's, he's acknowledging that Jesus is not just uh, a miracle man, but he is this promised Messiah from, from the Jewish faith. And so he, he yells out kind of surprisingly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And to kind of help us feel what this story might have been like from the perspective of Bartimaeus, I'm going to show a quick video um, of a spoken word, which is kind of like a poetic way of describing a story, a scene. So this is from the perspective of Bartimaeus. So let's, let's take a listen. Distant shuffle of sandals on dirt, and I can tell it's a crowd. Swirl of conversation. The low hum of their tension settles on my chest, yet each voice is distinct from the rest, carried to me on ears trained by blinded eyes to know the sound of afternoon. How many bracelets dangled on my mother's wrist the way a person breathes when they lie? 
I always hear first, and their noise rises with their dirt. I know who they are. Word travels fast. These Gentiles and Jews on revolution's path, they're following Jesus of Nazareth, the rabbi, the enigma, the miracle man they call him, the ones us broken ones all dream of and wish for, his miracle making our last hope for a life off these dusty streets. And then over the cacophony, I hear him. I always hear first, and the voice of God on the lips of a man is distinct, striking. I'm cut through by it, marrow separated from bone by it, struck down and brought back to life by it. And I wonder if everyone around him has forgotten to marvel at the miracle of it, but I hear it. His voice is daybreak. It's the sun when you need it most. It washes over me like cool water and panicked that I'll miss my chance. Something in me snaps and I shout out to the leader of that crowded hustle. Words that I didn't even know that I knew fall off my lips and break through the bustle. Son of David, have mercy on me. Someone hushes me. They all rebuke me. He's busy, can't you see? (laughs) Okay, yeah, I might be blind, my eyes full of shadows, but even I can't miss a king in disguise. Emboldened that he's actually on my street, I call out again, because a beggar might not have much, but we have learned to be persistent. Son of David, have mercy on me! This time, the air shifts. The wind stills and silence drops on my mat with the weight of a hundred eyes. What have I done? Should I hide? Should I run? My heart starts to pound, but then they shout, cheer up. He's calling you out. And in my dark hands, glass my arms, they take me to Jesus. And this time, his voice is power. What do you want me to do for you? He asks. Um, My bravado, desperation, it all disappears in his presence. What do I want? I suddenly want to fall to my knees. I want to hold his face. I want to feel the scratch of his beard and the warmth of the skin on his neck. I want to kiss this stranger's cheeks and follow him to the edge of the sea. I thought he was important, so I shouted his name, but now we're standing face to face and everything's changed. What do you want, he asked, so I just tell him, Rabbi, I want to I see. He touches my temples and then his dark eyes blink back at me. Oh, I'm dreaming. That's not 12 men staring at me. <laughs> That's not Jericho stacked behind the crowd. That's not a little boy in a torn tunic. This cannot be a cloudless sky opening above me because how would I know those things? I'm Bartimaeus. I'm the blind, pathetic beggar. This world isn't mine, this land of sight. I'm going to blink and wake up in my dimmed life. But go, he says, your faith has healed you. (laughs) So I look again, 
And the sun on the face of God is luminous. Where would I go? Back to the dirty cloak on the side of the road, into the belly of Jericho? Why would I go where you are not? No, I'm yours, Rabbi. I am transformed. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I was blind, but now I see. And with these wide open eyes, I'm going to follow a king. That was good, right? I get, it gives me chills uh, just listening to it. Sorry, I kind of feel like I sound echoey. Um, yeah, I mean, it just like, it really gets you into the story of what it must have been like to be Bartimaeus. He calls out to Jesus. He has this urgency to call out to Jesus, and then Jesus calls on him, brings him close, and then he like realizes the risk of all that he is taking right now. And his whole life, he has this opportunity for his whole life to change. And Jesus asks him that million-dollar question, what do you want me to do for you? And the crowds have been rebuking him, but he doesn't care. He takes that opportunity and risks it all, you know, what do you really want, Bartimaeus, in this moment? Everything is about to change for you. What is it that you want? And he goes all in and asks for his sight. He asks to be healed, not just for money, not just for the reason he was there originally. And that answer changes everything for him. He gets physical healing, but he gets his whole well-being changed, right? Because now he is a changed person in society. He can enter into a new life that he's never been able to enter into. It was a huge risk, I think, to ask for his sight because now he can no longer just go back to the street and, and sit there and beg and do what he was used to doing. That old way of life, the way that he had depended on living was no longer available for him if he asked and received his sight. Now he had to bravely enter into the world, a changed man, a new man, starting life over again following Jesus. He couldn't depend on being a victim to his circumstances, right? That, that victimhood is gone. He now has sight once again. And so he starts to follow Jesus bravely and boldly. He goes along with the crowds that's been following Jesus, the disciples that go beyond just the 12. He starts following Jesus. And it was uh, a risky uh, choice. And now the crowds um, who were rebuking him kind of had a change of heart and start praising God and seeing, oh, the mercy and the grace of God on this blind man, Bartimaeus. Um, and what we see is that Jesus, in earlier in Luke 9, he tells the crowds what it means to follow 
him, what it's going to cost to be a disciple of Jesus like Bartimaeus chose. He says, he turns to the crowds that have been following him. In 923, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And Bartimaeus did just that. He gave up his life, his old way of life, his old ways of of functioning and all that to follow the risk of being healed and join in Jesus' followers. And now when Jesus says your faith has healed you, that, that Greek verb healed means really like saved you, like an all of whole life healing and saving. It was physical and spiritual and social and emotional. All at the same time, Jesus wraps him up in this whole life salvation. So think about how you might be like Bartimaeus in this story. You know, what is holding you back from walking in everything that Jesus has for you? Even if you've been following Jesus for a long time, or you haven't ever said yes to Jesus, the taking up your cross and following Jesus is an ongoing, lifelong journey of letting go of control, really, over our own life in every detail, in every circumstance, and saying yes to Jesus instead. Or how might you be like the crowd where, oh, Man, Jesus doesn't have time for that. That's a disruption that I'm not embracing in my life. Jesus might be highlighting or getting your attention with something, and that's just too disrupting. That isn't something you want to do. That's beyond your comfort. That's beyond what you think Jesus should go to, that place in your life, whatever it may be. Jesus isn't welcomed there, and the crowd don't crowds initially don't welcome Jesus to Bartimaeus. That, they say, no, what are you doing? Or how might you identify like Jesus where you are present and stopping and ministering to the one person outside of these crowds, offering life, offering healing and hope to this one individual. Jesus is present with Bartimaeus. And oftentimes, the the Holy Spirit's nudging us to minister to someone, to take a risk, to step out and do something for him. It's often a still, quiet voice, right? Or just like a feather dropping, a leaf dropping. Like It can be so subtle at times that it's really easy to just brush it off and say, Oh, I don't, I don't think I heard the Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't think I heard God. Like, if God really wanted me to do something, it would be more obvious. It would be clear as day. I would hear it over and over and over again. Sure, there are times that it's like that. But there's also daily times where it's so gentle, and you can just think, oh, that was just my, my, the voice in my head. Oh, yeah, the voice of God in your head, right. So we leave this encounter with the crowds praising God over witnessing this healing. 
But this isn't the only encounter that Jesus has in Jericho. So as we go on to this next encounter with this next man that Jesus has, um, it was easier for the crowds, I think, to kind of be turned and have some mercy on blind Bartimaeus. But this next person is someone that the crowds hate even more. Um, so this next one is an encounter with Zacchaeus. And so, again, we are seeing how far the grace of God is willing to go to people that are lost and outcast and not on anybody else's radar. Somebody that has no resources and somebody that has a lot of resources. So Zacchaeus is somebody that has a lot of resources. He's rich. He is a chief tax collector tax collector. And tax collectors were already hated people um, in society, you know, because they cheated and pocketed money that they were not supposed to. And really, they're traitors to the Jewish people because they have uh, given their loyalty to Roman, the Roman uh, government, and now they are using their power against Jewish people, right? And anybody that is abusing power and isn't at the top of the line of power, abusing power, is someone to hate, right? Um, someone to distrust, someone to be like, no, the grace of God stops there, right? And so this guy, he wasn't just like in the IRS. He's the head of the IRS. He is the top chief and commander. Uh, so the, let's pick up the story in 191. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a good look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So here we are, Jesus is passing by another group of people in Jericho, Jericho, and he goes out of his way to seek out this individual who's not on anybody else's radar. Now, not only is he a chief tax collector and hated by society, but he's short, which means he's probably like under five foot in Jewish society. And so just another reason to be uh, the odd one, the weird, the one that no one even pays attention to. But he has some kind of urgency, just like Bartimaeus, where he has some kind of knowledge about who Jesus is, some kind of inkling that this might be the Messiah, the Savior. 
He doesn't know, but he has to see Jesus passing by. He just has to see him. So he realizes, like, he can't, he can't see him through the crowds. Like, he's, he's never going to be able to see him. So he runs to this tree to get a look, climbs up it, so that he can get a look at Jesus passing by. Um, and this... I mean, maybe it would make him kind of out of view in the crowd. Jesus could just easily walk by, not notice this weird little man up in the tree. But again, he, he stops, just like with Bartimaeus. He stops and he calls him by name, his real name. And that's, a, that's kind of a shock. That's kind of a surprise. How do you know my name, Jesus? And the crowds would have probably picked up on this, you know, this Jesus knows something. He's, he's some kind of prophet. Like, only prophets know somebody's name before they even meet him. Um, so then Jesus does something even more shocking. He says, quick, come down. I need to come to your house today, right? And even in Jewish culture, like, you didn't just, like, invite yourself over to somebody's house. Like, that's a little inconsiderate, a little awkward, um, it would be weird if I said, I'm coming over to your house for lunch today. Get the food ready. I'm coming, right? I'm bringing my three crazy kids. So uh, <laughs> clean up and I'm coming over. Better have some dessert too, you know? I mean, it was a little forward on Jesus' Jesus's behalf. Um, but the other thing that is shocking about this is that for the Jews, they see uh, Nicodemus as somebody... I mean, Zacchaeus, he's another character. Okay, he, they see him as somebody that's like so irreligious by choosing to be a tax collector that he's probably not following any of the Jewish laws, any of the ceremonial laws. Like, not only is he unclean, but his food is going to be unclean. Like, if you remember from Dan's story last week, um, you know, you can't touch that person with leprosy because they will make you unclean. And Jesus, you can't go to somebody's house that has unclean food and is a sinner and is all these things because it just the baggage of what that means um, is, is too much. But Jesus' grace and his holiness can go all the way to this man's house and meet him where he is and give him value and worth and belonging and salvation. And so notice the crowds again. They are grumbling. They are offended. They are peeved at this situation. This is like this person is every stood for everything that they hated. I mean, he was just like so far other than they that they could not imagine could not imagine Jesus going near this person to his house and inviting him to be a disciple. All those things were unimaginable to them, which really challenges us today. You know, we know of people or whatever that are, their ideologies are just like too far gone for us, right? Where they are in society is just too far gone for us. And they're just like nothing we want to associate with, nothing we want to be around. And Jesus still goes after them. He says that the kingdom of God is available for all. The grace of God extends 
to everyone. And that's challenging when it goes against everything that we stand for. And in response to this extravagant grace that Zacchaeus receives, he makes restitution. That's, that's what, this, that's what it, all of what he said was about. You know, he says, wow, you know, like my white-collar sin is the same as every other sinful heart. It may seem like, oh, I, you know, it's excusable, but it's not. He sees the condition of his heart and how he has cheated and been greedy and uh, abused his power. And so he makes restitution for his sin. And he says, I'm going to give half of my estate to the poor. And the people that I've cheated, I'm going to pay back times four. And I don't think that was just to save face. That was like a real uh, commitment of change. Because even back in, in um, Jewish times, if you had a wholehearted committed, commitment to a, a teacher like that, you would do something huge and extravagant with your, with your resources to show that commitment. So this, this was a, a sign that people recognized as like, oh, he's going all in to follow Jesus. And that's what he does. And the crowds don't have a change of heart in this one. They're still pretty offended. You can't follow the mission of Jesus and be offended at the same time. Those two things are work in opposition to each other. And so we have to have open hearts to the new things that God wants to do and the new places that his grace wants to go. So I think uh, some ways to absorb this story is, you know, we can't look at these two stories and, and just walk away with no response. We have to look at these two stories and have some kind of response. And I would challenge you this week to um, look at these stories in your own time, like read them a little bit more meditatively and, and think about who you are in the story, how you identify, where you see your heart at in different places, um, where we see ourselves in the story and what your response is going to be. So to take away, these are some questions that I want you to take away from this week. There's, there's Bartimaeus and Nicodemus. Those are the two characters uh, that, are, that Jesus is going after. So are you seeking Jesus the same way he is seeking you? He is going after you. He is going after uh, the individual amongst the crowd, he always has his heart and his eyes set on you. He's always present and at work in your life. How are you responding to that seeking that he has towards you? So think of how you might identify with Bartimaeus or Nicodemus. The second uh, person, people you can think about is the crowds. The crowds, how are you moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus? What's your, your heart's disposition in, in a, any circumstance in your life, right? Are you moving towards Jesus or are you like, I'm, I'm moving away from Jesus in this area of my life. I'm offended and hurt and broken and this, this situation is too much for me. So where do you see yourself as a crowd? in the crowd. 
And then there's the character Jesus. How do you see yourself ministering the presence of Jesus to somebody else this week? That's Jesus is inviting the interruption into his life. He's inviting the, 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 the chaos and the effect, all the things that are happening. He's, he's, he's okay. He's standing there calling this person, and he's ministering his healing, his hope, his presence. How can we be people like that just this week? How might be God calling you to do something like that, to be just a, a person of peace and presence ministering to someone else? Whenever you hear that whisper of the Holy Spirit, that gentle feather fall on you, you respond to it. You welcome the disruption, even if you're on your way somewhere else, right? You welcome the disruption to pursue Jesus' mission. So those are uh, my practical tips for you this week. So as we get ready um, to worship, I'm just going to pray, and um, I invite you guys to stand, and we will, we will uh, transition to worship. So God, um, we're thankful that you want to encounter us today, that you give us opportunities to encounter us. You go after us. You are seeking us. You are present and at work in our lives. And God, I ask that we would just have a, a responsive heart that um, as we just enter into worship, that you would just be showing us how we can respond to you. How can we turn towards your presence? How can we be more aware of what you're doing in our life and what you're calling us to and what you're telling us to, to turn away from and let go of and let go of control and say, yeah, I'm going to take up my cross, Jesus. I'm going to wholeheartedly follow you. I'm going to let go of control of this. I'm not going to go back to this, but I'm going to change and turn and go towards your new life that you have for me. God, we just, we just ask for more of your presence and more awareness of what you're doing in our life and a soft heart to say yes. Sometimes it's so hard to say yes to you, God, but you... You help us. You just help us do it. So we just invite you into this space as we worship you and we love you and we pray that your glory would just uh, be filled here right now. Amen. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, Go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.